The preaching of God's Word is from Psalm 73, and particularly verses 1 to 3, as we begin a series on this psalm, Psalm 73, from 1 to 3, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalm, of course, familiar to us, concludes with a great testimony of the Lord's grace to Asaph as it is that he ends up rejoicing and resolving to worship the Lord, it also begins with a great acknowledgement of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And if you were to read the first verse and the last few, you would think that the bulk of this psalm would be one unending tribute of praise, one happy and glad testimony of Christian experience. And yet the bulk of this psalm is actually the opposite, where Asaph is found to wrestle, and wrestle significantly. Even as we are introduced in the second verse, he says of himself, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. And of course, the image is quite obvious. He was speaking of one from stability, standing, to one whose feet were nearly taken out from under him, so that he would have lost all. And so it is that as we take up this psalm, we give thanks, of course, to God that Asaph stands, and in this psalter there is given to us the triumph of faith. But we also ought to give thanks to God that in the very manual of praise, He gives to us what we so often require, the expression of our own struggle, because this is what is provided to us. And whereas we may differ from circumstances here and there with what is before us, yet each of us will know some degree of such struggles. We see the wicked prospering. We see this world and its direction. And we see wickedness prevail. And instead of lightning from heaven and the ground opening as on occasion such is recorded to have done, it seems instead that it gets the approval, if not of heaven, at least by the generations that are present. And so this causes a stumble. And of course, what is going on in Psalm 73 is the age-old wrestling between faith and sight. And so we have the expression understandable to us, seeing is believing. And we can see that, of course, there are occasions. The resurrection of Christ, as John 20 records for us, was a matter of sight. There was the reality of Christ rising and the glorified Christ standing in the presence of the disciples. And you hear the testimony of their belief, their faith, their trust. And yet in that very same book, in that very same chapter, we're told that these things are written for us that we might believe, which then testifies to us that seeing is not required for believing. And so, though in an age where there are dubious claims by many in the world, and we understand the sentiment that is expressed by seeing is believing, and though even the Scriptures do at times 
cater to our weakness and provide to us matters of sight to confirm God's Word. Yet one thing that Psalm 73 expresses is that believing is believing. Believing upon God's Word is faith. Faith, trusting God's Word, is what faith is. The essence of faith is not seeing. The essence of faith is opposite of seeing. It's the receiving of God's record. It's the receiving of His witness. And though we'll take this up later, you can notice how this is even expressed in this psalm. When nothing changes about the wicked, there's no circumstance. He doesn't say, oh, I've seen their destruction. These who were flying high and uh, quite prosperous, I now have witnessed their downfall. Instead, it testifies to us, verse 17, that he drew near unto God. And it's drawing near to God that he understood their end. He didn't see it. He understood it. In other words, the Lord nurtured, directed, instructed, and helped, fortifying his faith. And so he saw what was to come, right? Not with the sensible eye, but with the spiritual eye of faith. And so what we see here is this grand change that overtakes Asaph from the great struggle as he characterizes it, my steps had well nigh slipped, until this outburst of faith, confidence, love, and expression from verse 23 and onward. In other words, the recovery of his faith is the recovery of his joy, the recovery of his stability. Nothing changed outwardly, not one thing. What changed was his spiritual sight was restored. Brethren, there's much that encourages us with this and much that counsels and helps us in this because though it is entirely right and even at times we can say it is necessary, it would be sinful to forego it, when circumstances come that we should ask for the Lord to do certain things and this for His name's sake and so on. Yet we ought to realize that the great need for our joy is not the change in our circumstances. The great need for the recovery of our encouragement is not that something outside of us would change. And so you have this by the testimony of the martyrs and others who have suffered from the early church, even well before the New Testament church, those who suffered in great and difficult straits and yet were found praising the Lord. Paul and Silas, you think, as they're in prison and they're singing praise. You have it as well with uh, the early church as they're being lined up to be persecuted and they would break out in songs of praise. And you have it in the Iron Curtain and all that took place in uh, the persecution against the church and in different cells, songs of praise to God. Why? Not because they had any change in their outward circumstances but because God strengthening their faith caused them to see the certainty of those things in which they have believed. And so as we commence this series on Psalm 73, fundamentally, we're taking up a series on faith. Faith which touches us in the reality of the uh, cold, hard facts of life. Faith which is able to sustain us in the midst of no changes to our circumstances Faith which is soundly, rightly, truly founded upon the Word of God. Faith which struggles and battles and wrestles against the things which are seen. 
but faith which by God's grace ultimately triumphs. So tonight we look at verses 1 to 3, which gives us the setting, as it were, of the stage. And so with it, it brings us to the very trouble, and this yet with the testimony of triumph. So you have the triumph there, verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even as such as are of a clean heart. And then he takes us back. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. Notice that. He's starting with a tribute of praise, but then he brings us back to his struggle. And so what we wish to consider this evening is how it is that the believer's faith may struggle and struggle with many tests and trials and circumstances. And yet in the end, as the opening verse indicates, faith will stand victorious by the grace of God and to His glory, able to testify truly God is good to Israel. Well, firstly then, we'll look at faith, its nature. Secondly, faith, its experience. And thirdly, faith, its victory. These three things as we glean from the text. Noticing just quickly the text itself. We've noted the first verse, which is a testimony of faith. The circumstance of his struggle is summarized there, verses 2 and 3, which he opens more fully from verse 4 and onward. But You'll notice he speaks of his instability, his, uh, almost his uh, detrimental fall. And he identifies the essence of the matter. For I was envious at the foolish, the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so the particular thing that caused his stumble was his eyeing the earthly prosperity of the wicked. And yet, the Lord sustained him. And so consider then firstly faith, its nature. What we can notice here as well as throughout the Scriptures is that fundamentally faith is trust. And yet it's not trust in the abstract. Biblical faith is faith in God. Faith in God is revealed. Faith in God as He communicates Himself to us. And so in other words, we hear the word faith as a culture and we hear something that has been emptied of its rich meaning from the scriptures and has been filled with all of the sort of polyfill of a stuffed animal that in the end has no life in it. And so you think of the way that the culture uses faith today and how we just have to believe and you know if we believe all things will work out to good and you can hear almost the same pattern borrowed from the Scripture, and yet it's emptied of the life of we need to trust God in accordance to His Word. Well, the whole of this psalm indicates to us that where Asaph is restored is by his drawing near to God and discerning what he's revealed. And so here we think about faith fundamentally as it is trust in God. And so you'll notice with reference to his struggle, that Asaph says that he struggled when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 3. And so this is opposite of faith. Seeing the circumstances, the reality of what's before us, is not faith. Faith is not seeing. And so we have the Scriptures, of course, testifying of this you know, with reference to an aspect of faith, namely hope, though distinct yet related, you know, a man doesn't hope for what is seen because once he sees it, 
he no longer expects it. It's now his. He has it. And similarly, faith. And we speak in the Scriptures, the Scriptures speak rather of faith being made sight. And this, of course, will ultimately be done at the glorious return of Christ. And so one thing we're seeing, of course, is that in order to understand the struggles of Asaph and our own struggles, we have to come back to the foundation of what faith is. It's believing the record that God has given. So we read from uh, John chapter 20, and you can see that once more with reference to the Scriptures, how John testifies that, listen, there are many things that Christ did which are not written in this book. Signs, he says, things that display and testify of what He is and who He is. But he says, verse 31, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and so on. So notice the record has provided us. And then similarly, Christ is the one who said of this very matter in verse 29, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And so faith is the trusting of the record. Now the record is based on something seen, right? So Paul, when he deals with the resurrection testifies of Christ's resurrection that he was seen by many eyewitnesses. And Luke's gospel begins with the testimony that he researched those things which are most surely believed among us. So these are facts, historical truths that are there. And yet it's obvious we don't see them today. And there are many things the Scriptures assert that we simply can't see. For instance, the general resurrection is an article of faith. It's not an article of sight. Now, it's an article of faith founded upon the very historical realities of Christ's verified signs and resurrection. But the point is, faith is not seeing. Faith is trusting. Fundamentally, it's an act of our soul. In other words, it's not an act of our body, though our bodies will follow It is an act of our soul. The inmost part of our consciousness is looking unto God and trusting in Him. It's trust founded upon divine truth. These things are written that ye might believe. And so the divine truth is conveyed to us, and that which is conveyed to us is sufficient of itself in the arrangement of God for our whole soul to rest itself upon in the face of all opposition. You have examples of this, of course, when, for instance, you have faith in God displayed by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everything around them is a sight that is testifying against them. And yet they say, listen, we trust God. We know what He's able to do. And so there's their faith. They don't see anything. It's not as if God was, as it were, displaying to them certain tangible things that they could put their hands on right then. They were trusting what they had known from the Scriptures recorded for them and for their benefit. That's faith. And so it is for us today. Faith is not our seeing God's doing things. And so you can think of our struggles. Sometimes in our immaturity, we say, God, would you show me a sign? And really what we're saying is, I want to see something. Now, praise the Lord that He often has drawn near to us and comforted and encouraged us in a variety of ways. And we ought not to overlook the fact that one thing that Christ has instituted is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which is a tangible sign for us. We wouldn't say it's a proof 
for instance, of God's existence, but we would say it's a tangible nurturing and confirming of our faith that we have in Him. But the point is that faith is fundamentally trust, believing upon Him. And so when we get to later on in verse 17, as earlier pointed out, it was when He went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end, He says. But He doesn't say, then I saw someone get killed who was a wicked man. He drew near to the sanctuary of God. And what's significant about that? Well, the sanctuary of God is both the display of God's presence, but it's also where the law was taught, the Scriptures are taught with power by the uh, priests and so on. All of these different uh, uh, testimonies were there. And then he perceives by the revelation that is there, by the ordained ordinances of the sanctuary, he's able to perceive the ultimate truths. Faith is trust, but it's more specific. It's trust in God as revealed to us. This is why the Scriptures are so important for us in our own day. Because the Lord has largely confined Himself in our day to the Scriptures. Of course, there's still creation and providence by which He displays His nature and so on, but it's by the Word of God and the Word of God alone that we have the testimony of the way of salvation and His will for us with clarity and so on. And so to have the Scriptures, as Paul indicates, is to have that which is able to make us wise into salvation and which is sufficient to guide us into all truth and righteousness. But fundamentally, the Scriptures call for faith, to trust in Him. We note as well that faith is a saving grace. In other words, saving faith, of course, particularly eyes Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. But faith in general, of course, saving faith, which includes that specific act of trusting Christ, is itself a grace, a gift of God. Verse 8 of of Ephesians 2, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so as we introduce this topic, just to touch this foundation, it's important for us to remember that faith is this act of our soul by which we trust God. And that act of our soul trusting God is revealed to us is itself a gift. And so we enter then secondly into the experience of this faith. And this is really the essence of the psalm. And we ought to notice from the beginning that faith has, uh, it varies even within the believer. And so for instance, verse 2 tells us, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. This is one believer, Asaph, who is expressing that I went from a position of stability to a position of near slipping unto my own demise. And you can also see, as we've already pointed out, that it is that his faith is strengthened. Verse 17, that he understood their end, and this brings forth rejoicing and praise and so on. The point is the experience of faith in the believer is not monolithic. It's not uniform. It has variations. It ebbs and it flows. There are seasons of great faith. There are seasons of weak faith. There are seasons where we think our faith is strong only to discover that it's weak. And there are also seasons when we think our faith is weak only in the face of circumstances, of trials, whereby we find that it is, by God's grace, quite strong. 
And you can see this, of course, with reference to what Paul records of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, that there are degrees of faith. And so the least saving faith is faith indeed. And yet there is, of course, within saving faith, weak faith and strong faith. And so if you look, for instance, at Romans chapter 4, you see this distinction asserted when we find it recorded of Abraham. Romans 4 at verse 19. It says, Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and so on. You'll notice that Abraham's faith recorded here is a faith of tremendous strength. And yet you'll also remember that Abraham had his moments of weakness. And so his sons as well, Isaac and Jacob, having their own seasons of trial and difficulty. And so, brethren, the point is, if we miss this very truth, we can become led astray into false, conse- or false conclusions to our experiences. So, in other words, we may have seasons of strong faith, and we might be confused when we find ourselves struggling in later years or in particular seasons, and if left to ourselves, we might leap to this conclusion that therefore we aren't believers or something of that sort. When in reality, we ought to, of course, bemoan and uh, confess the weakness of our faith. But we ought not to consider weak faith to be equal with no faith. And so when in our experience we're having these ebbs and flows, it's helpful to realize that that's actually a facet of Christian experience. It doesn't mean seasons of weak faith are to be received, as it were, with contentment in the sense of saying, well, I've got weak faith, so no big deal. Because you'll remember that weak faith is reproved. And in fact, as we'll see, Asaph condemns himself for his weak faith. When he testifies that, verse 22, I was foolish and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Verse 21, my heart was grieved. I was pricked in my reins, that is, my inward parts, my kidneys. What's he saying? The discovery of my so weak faith as I had was a conviction to my soul that I uh, confessed before the Lord. It was a wretched thing. Remember as well that Christ, on occasions, reproved His own disciples as those who were weak in faith. And so, It's helpful for us to see that there is this variation, and yet we ought not to take the weak side of faith and say, well, that's just my lot, and that's just fine, and that's just what I'm going to be. Weak faith in the believer, discovered unto the believer, is a call to confess, repent, and seek stronger faith, which we'll consider in due time. So the experience is one that can vary. Now, This doesn't mean that it will vary back and forth. It means that it can. 
It can and sometimes does. But notice the experience particular to this verse in this chapter is the wrestling of faith against sight. And this, of course, is what discovers weakness of faith, the circumstances of sight. So what is it that caused in Asaph's experience his feet almost to uh, lose their footing? He says, verse 3, it was that I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What was it that his, uh, the circumstances were to uh, discover to Asaph the weakness of his faith? It was his sight, and particularly the sight of wickedness prevailing and prospering. In other words, this is the experience of faith. Faith wrestles against sight, and sight wrestles against faith. It's not unlike the principles of the Spirit at work within us and remaining sin at work within us, where, as Paul says in Romans, the good that I would, I do not, and that which I do, I would not. And he testifies in Galatians that the Spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit so that ye cannot do what you would, and so on. The point is that this is the experience of the believer, a wrestling, a struggle. And the wrestling is tangibly recorded for us in Genesis 32 when Jacob is drawing near and he hears of his brother coming to him. And what is it but the pre-incarnate Christ is there and he's wrestling with him. And what is it that Jacob's doing? Well, earlier he's told us, it's recorded in Genesis 32, that he's pleading with God, you've given me promise, and yet now I have all of these circumstances that are presented unto me that are causing me to have anxiety, fear, and so on. So I would cling to your promise. And then in this most tangible of ways, he's wrestling with the Lord, and he says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. There's faith wrestling He's not casually saying, you know, it would be nice if you would do this. And this is something for us to realize. That the utmost of faith in a broken world and in a life of a Christian who has principles of sin within him is not going to be a cool carriage that just sort of breezes through life. Because we have sin in us. We have degrees of unbelief in us. We have circumstances around us that will discover those things to us. And so if it were true that we were, of course, perfected in glory, we could have some argument to be made that faith would, as it were, face every circumstance with almost a breath of indifference because we know. And yet that doesn't even uh, correspond to Christ's experience when Christ labored, not in unbelief, but here is the man of faith, perfect faith, and faith is wrestling in the midst of all that's before Him, trusting in the Lord God. What's the point? The grace of faith is an active principle that wrestles against all that withstands or stands between His enjoyment of the promises of God. This is what faith is doing. And there are times in our experience, especially as there's sin still within us, wherein we find sight seemingly getting 
the upper hand. Notice how a very familiar portion of God's Word will illustrate this with a very brief uh, moment or brief testimony. Matthew chapter 14, and there at verse 30, where we have Peter called by Christ, Come. Peter was come down out of the ship and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. One verse illustrates the whole thing. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. What's going on? Well, a lot's going on. But fundamentally, here's Peter getting out of the boat at Christ's word. There's faith. And there's, Peter often gets ridiculed for things and on occasion there are appropriate criticisms. But you'll notice here, he actually says to Christ, if it is you, then call me and I'll come to you. And he waits for Christ's word. Christ then says, come. And he gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water. That's faith. Resting assured on God's word. But the same man who has faith also has the principle of unbelief in him. And what is it? He sees the wind. It's not that he saw the literal wind, but the effects of the wind, the waves about him. And he, taking his eyes off the Lord, begins to descend. But what does he do? Faith again cries out, Lord, save me. You can see the wrestling at present in Peter, of course. And this is, in many ways, a microcosm of the believer, various degrees and circumstances but the essence of our own wrestling with the things that surround us. And so, brethren, you will be tried and tested. It is the trial of your faith. When you see adverse things come, your faith is being tested. And you shouldn't be surprised if on occasion of those tests that you discover that your faith was not so strong as you thought it was. It may be strong enough, as it were, to get you out of the boat, to borrow the idea from Peter, but it may indeed still have, not within faith itself, but within your soul, there still may be principles of unbelief stronger than you imagined. And so a trial comes, and you find yourself destabilized and made unstable and slipping and sinking. And yet faith, if indeed faith is in you, will necessarily call upon the Lord. And here's something for us to see. Though it is not strong faith, what an encouragement it is when the adversity hits us, the trial hits us, and we find all of these fears grip us, and anxiety grips us, and even doubts multiply in our minds, and yet almost instinctively, what do we do? We cry out, Lord, help. That's faith breathing, gasping, crying out, wrestling. Brethren, if you ignore the teaching of Scripture on the experience of faith, you will be at a loss to make sense of your experience in life as a believer. As a believer, you will be at a loss to make sense of the ebbs and flows, the wrestlings and difficulties and trials. And moreover, your own experience will in the end be a great obstacle to your spiritual advance. But if you're aware that this is a common experience to believers, again, different degrees, different measurements, different seasons, different frequency, 
but that this is the reality of the principle of sin and unbelief, looking at the things in this world, and the principle by God's grace of faith and belief, looking at God's Word, and these things wrestling as it were within us, our own soul, if we realize that, it will actually lead us to seek strengthening from the Lord. Lord, faith is your gift. I need you to strengthen it in me. It'll keep us from a self-contentment of saying, well, I'm a believer. You know, this category that people think of, yeah, you know, when did you believe? I believed when I was 13, 14, 15, 25, 42, whatever. And this thought that now that I've believed, it's like the graph has reached its top and it's only going to remain that way to the duration of our life. When in reality, the beginning of faith is the beginning of warfare. The beginning of faith is the beginning of wrestling. Praise the Lord that as we'll see in Psalm 73, there is the guarantee of victory. And yet we need to realize that faith is a wrestling principle laying hold of God's Word and fights against the lusts of the soul and sight which tries to lay hold of the things that are seen. Well, here is the essence of In its introduction, we close thirdly with faith, its victory. We'll work through the experience of Asaph and thus the soul and the experience of faith. There are many things that we could open now, but will more naturally fit in other places of this psalm. But notice the victory asserted from the beginning. And this is something of the Lord's wisdom to us to assure us of this very truth. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And so it begins with this assertion of confident, exulting in the Lord. It's faith. And so in other words, Asaph is evidence, this psalm is evidence of faith's victory in this life. In this life, Faith stands victorious as the Lord gives help by His grace. And what is the evidence of faith's victory? It's fundamentally vindication of God. This is what faith does. Faith vindicates God. And so you think of those moments in Scripture that stand out most particularly, most peculiarly, as these moments where we say there is faith. One such example, Job. He's covered from head to sole of his foot with sores. The whole of his house has been ruined. All of his riches have left. His very friends are now those who are almost his enemies in their counsel. His wife has told him, curse God and die. And then we hear him say in his own struggles, the wrestling of faith, what a testimony of faith. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And what's happened, of course, with Job particularly, is God has stripped every visual reason for hope away from him. Everything's removed. There's no support. There's no help. There's no outward uh, uh, provision. But what we see is faith. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Fundamentally, we see it on the cross. Christ, of course, is the Son of God incarnate, but he is the Son of God incarnate. 
he is, above all else, a man of faith as regards his humanity. He is a man who trusts the Lord. And so here he is on the cross, and you wonder. He takes up Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet, brethren, think that psalm doesn't end with verse 1. It doesn't end with verse 8. It ends with this glorious, resounding testimony of confidence. And there, even while the whole of creation which he upholds turns black against him, though the very others who are suffering as criminals, justly suffering, are casting the accusations in his teeth, though the very ones he's appointed as overseers of the Old Covenant church are mocking him and his disciples have fled from him, yet he bears up under the wrath of God, confident that it is not in vain, ultimately able to cry out, it is finished, and give up his soul in victory. In this life, Christ stood as the man of faith in perfection. And in the end, of course, in this life, he was vindicated at his resurrection. He says, think of this expression of faith, into thy hands I commend my spirit, my soul. He's testifying something there. He's not just quoting Scripture. It is Scripture. It's His Word. But He's testifying something there. And what is it? He's testifying, I'm trusting you. I know how this works out. And He's willing, as it were, to sever, to offer up His soul separated from His body in death, knowing that He gives His life, He lays it down of Himself, and He will take it up again. That's faith. Well, brethren, in this life, if you want evidence of victory, it will be when it is in the adversity you vindicate God. Truly, God is good to Israel. It's certain. It's sure. Indeed, it is so. God is good. Even to such as are of a clean heart, pure heart. Notice, in contrast to his struggle, He's struggling with the side of the profane, the corrupt. They're prospering. They're the ones that seem to be getting God's blessing. They're the ones who are impure in heart. He says, as we'll consider that he has, in his struggle, he testifies that he thought of himself as cleansing himself in vain. Verse 13, washing his hands in innocency. This, he thought, was in vanity. But now he's asserting, vindicating God. No, God, whatever my struggles were and my unbelief and wrestling there, by Your grace, faith being strengthened again, I stand and give You my testimony. God is good to such as are of a clean heart. Though I perish, though I don't prosper like the rest, I know this, God is is good. Well, of course, we'll need to go more into Psalm 73 to see why it is so that Asaph is able to confess as much. Brethren, can we not look beyond this portion and realize that ultimately faith's victory, as we're told, overcomes the world and so on, that ultimately faith's victory is when it is made sight. Faith shall be made sight. In fact, Asaph implies as much, if not directly as stating as much, 
at the end in verse 26 when he says, My flesh and my heart faileth. My body will die. My body will give over. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's similar. It's not the same words, but it's a similar concept to Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's faith. But brethren, faith ultimately will be victorious when it gives over to sight. Here's the thing to remember. Seeing is not believing. But faith will be made seeing. Believing will lend itself, will rather give itself, ten, turn into seeing on the last day. This is why when you look at Paul's epistles, many of them are filled with exhortations unto holiness, remembering Christ will return. This is why Christ is so frequent in exhorting us, you know, consider this well. Your life, whatever else you gain, if you forfeit your soul, what do you, what do you really gain? You lose everything. He reminds us of the last day. On that day, on His right-hand side will be a sheep. On His left-hand side will be the goats. And so He's getting us to foresee it. And one day, brethren, whatever mockeries you've faced, whatever trials you've experienced, one day your eyes will see these things. You'll see Christ descend from heaven. You'll see dead the dead being raised up and given to Christ. You'll see the whole mass of all humanity gathered together. And the world hears this and says, let's quantify this. You know, let's think about all the number of people. Where is this going to be? How is this going to happen? What do you think? You know, this is just a myth that's been exploded now beyond what it can support. And we say, no, no, no. This is the truth. This is that faith of what God has given us to believe, and because God is true, God is faithful, and able to perform all that He said as Abraham followed in that, tra that train. So we believe the same. The world mocks on and says, listen, you know, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, let's get rid of the pie-in-the-sky kind of mindset. And the Christian says, absolutely not. The Word of God tells us these things. One day, brethren, here's the wonder. You'll no longer have to testify to others these things because they'll see it themselves. You'll see it yourself. You'll witness these things. And you won't be believing it anymore. You'll be seeing it. And of course, the Lord plants this psalm to nurture our faith, but to nurture it that we might have encouragement to know that one day we will witness the great blessings that we have believed. And yet, though that time is yet to come, it is that knowing those things, we might praise His name in this day. Well, brethren, there's much before us in this psalm. We've had something of an introduction to faith as it's triumphant through the midst of various tests. We'll start to look at some of the tests next week, the Lord willing, as He gives us opportunity. But before we close and end our time, here is something for you and for me to consider well. To start to think, how is it with me? Is there faith? If so, to what degree? This is what examination is. Examining ourselves is asking, is it there? And if so, to what extent? 
And so it's not enough for us to say, I acknowledge the Orthodox faith, that's indeed necessary, but it's, am I trusting in these things? And if we can borrow from the rest of the psalm, notice the joy that comes when there is trust. It's not the change of circumstance that makes Asaph say, whom have I in heaven but thee? It's rather the strengthening of faith. And so, brethren, here's something for us. If we find ourselves struggling spiritually, it's a little encouragement for us to say, I have need of my faith being strengthened. I have need of the Lord to give me more of the measure of the gift of Christ in the way of gracious faith. And so if you find yourself troubled by circumstances, adversities, trials, and so on, we're not fully there yet, is there not wisdom to draw near to God, to search His Word, and to join with your search the prayer, Lord, I believe, help Thou mine unbelief. And may the Lord give you the victory to vindicate His name in this life till it is that faith is made sight. Would you stand with me?